Well, good morning. For eight more minutes, good morning. Welcome, welcome back. Great to be with you today. Today is a record-setting day at People's Church. You don't even know what the record is yet, but go ahead and clap. This morning, we had 35 boys and girls come to junior Bible quiz practice. That is a record for us, all-time record. See, we believe in planting the Word of God in the hearts of our children. Uh, there is uh, the way that God made our minds. We absorb so much more when we're, when we're little. And so we want to teach the Word of God. And someone figured out that if you teach the Word of God in the format of a quiz show, uh, the kids learn it better. So we do junior Bible quiz, and we invite anyone uh, who is grade kindergarten through sixth grade to join us. And we had, like I said, a record setting 35 boys and girls come this morning. Uh, if you are a parent or grandparent and want to in involve your children in this so we can continue to set records and also plant the word of God in their hearts, uh, I encourage you to bring them at 8.30. And you're thinking, well, if I came at 8.30, what would I do during that time? I'm so glad you asked. Uh, Pastor Rob and Pastor Stephanie are leading a small group for parents and grandparents during that time. Uh, and there's, so there's a chance for you to meet other uh, moms and dads or grandmas and grandpas. And uh, that all happens at, at 8.30. I know that's pretty early for some of us, but I believe it's worth it. And uh, if you'd like to come, it's not too late to join in. Maybe you've heard that if you work at a Disney theme park, you are not called an employee. You are called what? A cast member. Imagineer, I heard that also. I think that is a, a job at Disney. Uh, but all the employees that work in the parks are called cast members. You can imagine being a cast member that staying happy in the most magical place on earth is not always easy when the guests are not always happy and magical. It is said that Disney theme park cast members have a special term for guests who are especially rude or disruptive. The company, they want their cast members to stay away from negative or insulting language, especially in front of the guests. So if a cast member perceives that you are especially difficult, the diplomatic code phrase that they will use to describe you to other cast members is treasured guest. <laughs> Can you help me? I'm dealing with a treasured guest. So now that you know that, next time you're at Disneyland or Disney World, if you are providing feedback for the service that you've received, and they call you a treasured guest, now you know what that means. And you could say, I am not a treasured guest, thank you very much. I bring this up today because referring to a difficult customer as a treasured guest and some of you small business owners may put this into practice now. Referring to a difficult customer as a treasured guest, it's the opposite of obvious. And so this is where we rejoin our Sunday morning teaching series, Mismatch. And what we're talking about is 
that the reality that following Jesus often demands the opposite of obvious. Following Jesus often demands the opposite of obvious. The way Jesus teaches and challenges his followers to act and to react in everyday situations is often so different than even opposite of how others would act or react in the same situation. And the way that Jesus challenges his followers to live out their faith, the way Jesus challenges us to live out our faith, there are many times when it just doesn't make sense to others who are around us, and that's okay. There are verses that I come across in the Bible, if you read the word, and I hope you do, there are verses that I come across in God's word that make me ask the question, is Jesus really asking me to do this? This is difficult, this is risky, this is uncomfortable, this is the opposite of what seems obvious. There are moments when I'll come across something that Jesus says or something else, other area of scripture, and it's like, oh, isn't that interesting? And either it's too hard or I think, well, this may apply to someone, but it certainly doesn't apply to me. And it's easier to do what? To just move on. To just not think about what that really means. What challenging is, what's challenging is to stop and ask, God, are you really asking me to do this? What would it take to actually live this out? What's holding me back from living this out? For some of us today, this will be moments where it may feel easier to just quickly fly by what Jesus says. And what I believe that God wants us to do is actually stop and hang out here for a minute and really look at what our Heavenly Father may be wanting us to do. So I invite you to open up or power up your word today to Luke chapter 14. Luke chapter 14. And what Jesus teaches here is in the context of a dinner gathering. Luke 14 covers several interesting moments that occur at this dinner party. If you were at this dinner party, it did not disappoint. You would have had a lot to talk about at work the next day. If you were invited to this dinner party and you didn't go, you would have been disappointed because of all that happened. You would have missed a lot. In fact, so much happened at this dinner gathering that we're still talking about it 2,000 years later. A local religious leader is hosting this party Luke tells us it is a leader of the Pharisees, and this dinner party occurs on the Sabbath day, which is the holy day of the week, likely after a service at the synagogue. Luke writes that everyone at the Pharisee leader's dinner party is watching Jesus closely, which is, by the way, what every one of us would do in the exact same situation. If we were invited to a party and Jesus was there, what would we be doing the entire time? We'd be watching Jesus to see what he does. It's always about the motive, and so there's a question, why would Jesus be invited to a dinner at a Pharisee leader's house? What we do know is at this point in history, the Pharisees, or these religious elites, their hostility towards Jesus was increasing. So it's possible that they invited Jesus because they wanted to trap him. It's possible that they invited Jesus because they wanted to build a case against him. Now there are two exciting things that happen before we get to the moment that we're gonna focus on today. Before dinner, Jesus heals a man who comes in with a severe mobility disability. 
it's possible that this man was only invited because the Pharisees wanted to see if Jesus would do a healing work on the Sabbath, wanting to catch him uh, in a trap, wanting to do something to accuse him of violating the religious law by working on the Sabbath. Well, Jesus does heal the man. The man is healed. And then Jesus points out to the Pharisees, go back and look at your word. There actually is nothing in the Old Testament law that prohibits healing on the Sabbath. So it's already pretty interesting. Then it comes time where, where they're going to eat. And when I picture this next sequence of events, I, it's funny to me because uh, Luke tells us that all the people who are at the party are all jockeying for position to sit, sit at the most important uh, seat at the table. They all want the seat of honor. So you can imagine maybe they're all sipping little cups of punch and they sense that it's almost time to eat. So they're all, not overtly, but just intentionally inching their way towards the best seat at the table. Just so that they can be close enough that when the word is given, let's sit down to eat, the one who's closest can just quickly grab the seat of honor. And Jesus says, I want to check your attitude. He doesn't say this, but he essentially says, you shouldn't all be fighting for the best seat. Jesus says, you should desire the lowest seat at the table and allow the host to elevate you. And what Jesus is confronting there is an attitude of self-promotion. So it's already been a very interesting uh, after Sabbath service meal. It's already been exciting. Jesus has called out the Pharisees for misinterpreting or adding on to the religious law about Sabbath work, and he identifies that they have been twisting the intention of God's instructions. Jesus has shamed the guests for desiring self-promotion. Now, here's what we're going to focus on today. Jesus now calls out the host of the event, the Pharisee leader. This is a person, this is a man who'd be highly respected in the community. And here's where Jesus challenges the host and possibly challenges us to do the opposite of obvious. Are you ready for it? Verse 12. Then he, Jesus, turned to his host. Here's what Jesus says. When you put on a luncheon or a banquet, he said, don't invite your friends, brothers, relatives, and rich neighbors. For they will invite you back, and that will be your only reward. Now, before we just go on by, if you were going to have a party at your house, who would be the obvious people to invite? Your friends and relatives. If you are a business person, when you think of business meetings, business lunches, who are you most likely to invite to a business lunch or dinner? You're most likely to invite the people with the money to make it happen. So reading this list, is Jesus really forbidding us from inviting people in these categories over to our house for a cookout? For Jesus to say, don't, do not invite your friends, brothers, relatives, and rich neighbors when you host a lunch or a banquet. Immediately, this sounds like the opposite of obvious. This is what I was talking about, one of those moments where it may feel easier to just move on by and conclude that Jesus isn't really asking us to do that, or I don't want to do that. So we just keep on going. 
Or it's possible that maybe you don't really like your relatives and you don't want to invite them over to your house. Maybe it gets really ugly and confrontational when your relatives come over and you're seeing this with excitement. Cousin Eddie, we really want to have you for Thanksgiving this year, but as you know, we're Christians and I was reading my Bible and see Jesus was at a dinner once and he said, don't invite your relatives. So this year for Thanksgiving, it's just not gonna work out as we desire to live out our faith. What does this mean? Don't invite your friends, brothers, relatives to your lunch or dinner. What we're gonna see, what's really going on here is that Jesus confronts an attitude of giving that is based on receiving. Jesus is confronting an attitude of giving that is based on receiving. We're looking at what Jesus says. We're also looking at who Jesus says this to. When Jesus says, when you put on a luncheon or a banquet, don't invite your friends, brothers, relatives, and rich neighbors, who is Jesus speaking to? The host of the party. And who is the host of the party? A Pharisee leader. So Jesus, when he says this, he's not speaking directly to his followers. So maybe you've just breathed a sigh of relief. Oh good, Jesus is not talking to me. Where are we going for lunch today? Well maybe, just maybe, Jesus is talking to us because it's possible that we have a little bit of a Pharisee spirit in our heart that God just might want to expose today and deal with us. See, Jesus may be calling out the pattern in this leader's life. Every time you do anything big, the only people who get an invites are your friends, your brothers, your relatives, and your rich neighbors. They're gonna invite you back, Jesus says. You're only inviting people who can do something for you. Your hospitality comes with an expectation that those who are invited will be doing something for you in return. This is a quid pro quo hospitality. This is inviting or given with a spoken or unspoken expectation that something is coming back my way. Now, if you're picturing this event, to add to all of this, when Jesus says, don't invite your friends, your brothers, your relatives, or your wealthy neighbors, who's in the room when Jesus says this to the host of the party? That guy's friends, brothers, relatives, and wealthy neighbors. Awkward. Of course it is good to love and invite your neighbors, but our love for our neighbor is not supposed to be contingent on what they have or don't have. I love you because you're my neighbor. My desire for relationship is not dependent upon what you can do for me. There can be an attitude. What is the minimum that I have to give so that I can receive the most in return? To invite those who can or will do something in exchange for you, there is an act of giving involved, but it's not really an attitude of giving. It's actually an attitude of receiving. You see, Jesus says in verse 13, instead, instead, 
invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, and the blind. If your attitude is or has been to include only people who can do things for you, those who have greater than, more than, well, what about this? Invite those who have less than. Invite the less wealthy, those with less ability. Include those who others ignore. Invite outsiders into your life. Now, if you have lived or are living being driven by including only those who can do something for you, I believe Jesus, the Holy Spirit, is really doing a work in you today. For the rest of us, many of us would say, we don't really live on that extreme end of it where we only invite with an attitude of including those who can do something for us in return. But there's something that possibly is more subtle going on in our hearts. So I want to ask this question, and I'm asking myself this, in question, this same question. Do we, intentionally, do we intentionally involve or include others who are left out by others? Are we intentionally including those who are left out? And how about this? Could we go beyond serving and also invite? This is a church of servants. I, I hear about the amazing things that you do, often with not expecting any spotlight, any accolades. Praise God for every person who serves as a volunteer servant leader on our campus. Every week we could not do it without you. This is a servant leader church. Praise God. We're thankful for you. We love you. One person clapped for that. That was good. One person. I'm bragging about you. And the one person who did clap was like kind of a half clap. Like, should I clap there? Cheer me on, it helps, especially third service. I've already heard this. Could we go beyond serving is the question and also invite, here's what I mean. It's one thing to leave our homes, and this is good, it's, it's one thing to leave our homes and bring compassion to people where they are to meet them in their place of need, that's good. And also Jesus says here, what, invite them, invite them, bring them into your home. How about this, the people who we may least want to include may actually be the people who need us the most. And I think this is exciting. You and I, we have the opportunity. We could be the one who breathes life into someone who does not have family support or who is in the middle of a broken situation. You could be the one who goes to the person who's been labeled unimportant, devalued, unloved, and you could show them the love and the value and the importance of God. So we reflect the love of God when we become the hands and feet of Christ, when we see people not as others may see them, but how God sees them. And do you know what? God sees every person as being a person of importance, a person of value, and a person who is absolutely worth loving. Jesus said, you invite your friends, brothers, relatives, and rich neighbors only so that you can get something back. Jesus' words, they will invite you back and that will be what your only reward. 
Jesus challenges the Pharisee leader then, and perhaps a Pharisee attitude that could be in our heart today, invite those with less, those who are not in the position to add to your influence or reputation. And when Jesus challenges us to include others who are ignored by some, Jesus does not say expect no reward. Jesus does not say expect no reward. It's so much better than that. Some of you have already read ahead in your Bible and you know what Jesus says. Jesus says in verse 14, when you serve these others, then at the resurrection of the righteous, God will reward you for inviting those who could not repay you. We're talking about the opposite of obvious. What Jesus says is the opposite of expecting nothing in return. Jesus says God will reward you for inviting those who cannot repay you. There's one expectation that's give your limited resources, expecting something back from someone else who, who has limited resources even though their resource limit may be higher than yours. But how about this, giving our limited resources, expecting a reward from the one who has unlimited resources. You see, the best hospitality is given, not exchanged. This is faith, this is trust. God, as I take care of those who matter to you, I'm confident that you're going to take care of me. We may be convinced to expect the greatest outcomes in our life, by building relationship with others who can do great things for us because of their influence, because of their affluence, because of their authority. But Jesus says we can be expected to be rewarded by God actually when we include those who cannot repay. This is not a less than reward. To be rewarded by God is not a less than reward. It is greater. The reward of God is greater than any reward that someone can offer you on earth. When we talk about heaven's rewards, what does that mean, heaven's rewards? There is a reward of closeness to God that comes from doing what matters to him. This is kind of like when you receive uh, um, affection, affirmation from parents or grandparents for doing what is right. There's that kind of, of reward. Also considering heaven's rewards, Paul later would write to the church in Corinth Two believers, two believers, two followers of Christ. One day we will be at home with the Lord, Paul writes. Our goal is to please him. We must stand before Christ to be judged. And again, Paul writing to an audience of believers say, says we will each receive whatever we deserve for the good or evil we have done in this earthly body. So there is some reward coming in heaven for the good we've done on this earth. With that said, with that said, don't miss this. What is God's greatest reward? What is God's greatest reward? God's greatest reward is that we escape the penalty of our sin, which is an eternity in this awful place called hell without God. Because when we place our faith in Jesus Christ, we are forgiven of our sins and being eternally focused followers of Christ, the promise of heaven surpasses any temporary difficulty or trial that we'll face on earth.
in heaven, we experience God, we experience his glory, we are going to experience a creation that is uncorrupted by any of the junk of this world. So if you are a follower of Christ, don't miss this, the reward is already promised to you. It's an, an inheritance that does not decay. So connect the dots with me. To serve people who may not matter to others, but do matter to God, we don't invite them. We're not including them trying to earn our way into heaven. Rather, we serve those who cannot repay because we are promised heaven. In heaven's economy, greater reward comes from serving those who cannot repay than those who can. What's the reward from serving those who can repay? They're gonna invite us back, they're gonna do something for us. What's the reward from serving those who cannot repay? God's reward. Greater reward in, God, in God's economy, in heaven's economy, greater reward comes from serving those who cannot repay than those who can. The reward from serving those who can invite you back, that may be a speedy reward. God's reward is for the patient. Don't invite your friends, your brothers, your relatives, your rich neighbors. Sounds like the opposite of obvious. Is Jesus forbidding us from having a cookout for our friends and neighbors? Absolutely not. Jesus is certainly not forbidding us from getting together with the people who we love. Who did Jesus eat his last meal with before the crucifixion? He ate with those he was closest to. Jesus is also not telling us that we have to include everyone all the time. There were times when Jesus limited those who were in the room on purpose. The instruction here is not for all Christ followers to turn their home into a shelter for those who are struggling with homelessness. Now there may be someone that that actually is what God is calling you to do today. What Jesus is doing for all of us is he is confronting an attitude that may be in our heart as we make decisions, as we decide who to include. And not just who to include, but why we are choosing to include them. We are encouraged to love people because God loves them, not for what they can do for our influence, our reputation, or our position. So how do we live this out? This, like so much, it's easier to say out loud than to do. And I wanna ask some questions, and I want you to know, church, I'm asking myself these questions just as much as God may be asking you these questions today. See, we're challenged to think about or to rethink who we're including, and we're also challenged to think about or rethink who we may not be including. What is the motive of our heart when we consider who gets a portion of our time? Does the level of our hospitality change based on who we're serving? Does someone get better from us if we believe that they can do something for us? Would any, would any of our relationships change if the other person's position dramatically changed? What if the one who has it all lost it all? Or one, what if the person who has very little suddenly had a lot.
Jesus gives us this action step. Include those who are not and who may never be in a position to repay you. Invite, not so that we can earn a reward, but because you already have been promised a reward, an inheritance in heaven. This was posted about two weeks ago. Pastor Matthew Barnett had hoped to pastor. He, he felt like God had given him a vision to move to Southern California and that he was going to pastor a, a large church in central Los Angeles. So Pastor Matthew moved to Los Angeles in 1993. There was a small church that started there of about 40 people. And uh, as they're faithfully doing church there with 40 people, the numbers didn't get bigger. They actually got smaller and smaller and smaller until one day Pastor Matthew came to church and there was one person who came to church that day, him, a church of one, which is no church at all. You can imagine if you felt like God had given you a vision or a dream to go and plant a church and, and God had started to download this thought that it was gonna be this great uh, move of God in the city and you go there and you're, you're slinging it, you're working hard and no one shows up. On top of all that, the day after Matthew was the only person who showed up to church there in Los Angeles, he heard gunshots outside and rushed outside of this church building to find a boy bleeding to death on the church steps. Pastor Matthew recounts that he held that dying boy in his arms, asking God for peace from the surrounding gang violence and despair that existed in this neighborhood where he planted this church. And it was in that moment that God began to speak to Pastor Matthew. And this is Pastor Matthew now quoting what God led him to do. Pastor Matthew said, God said this to him, go after, go after the people that nobody wants. Put all of your effort into going after those who everyone else have left out. Go after the people who nobody wants and I'll give you the people everybody wants. Nearly 27 years later, that vision is very much a reality. Maybe you've heard of this place. It's called the Dream Center. It's known as a church without walls. The Dream Center serves hundreds and thousands of people hurting, broken, and hopeless in Los Angeles. Some of you have been to the Dream Center on a mission trip. The opposite of obvious. You want to experience a move of, of God? Go after the people who everyone else is ignoring. Include those that others have counted out. To include someone who cannot repay reflects the love that God has for you and for me. Your heavenly father loves you so much he sent his son Jesus to die for you. We're talking about inviting someone who can never repay you. Do you know that we can never repay God? We can never repay God for sending his son Jesus to die for us. It's not like God has done that for us and we can say back to God, uh, don't worry God, next time I got the bill. 
We have been given something that we cannot repay. We have been invited to the banqueting table of heaven, even though we were once enemies of God. So what a small thing, we can a relatively small thing we can do in return by including those who may never be able to repay us. And what about this? What if we were to show love to someone who could never repay us? And they were surprised by that. They were moved in their spirit. Why, why would you do this for me? Why would you invite me in? Why would you include me? Why would you do something for me when you know that I could never repay you? And what an opportunity you would have in that moment to say, because someone has done something for me that I could never repay. Jesus Christ has died for me, my sins, given me a hope for now and for eternity, and I could never repay that. Some of you have experienced this, giving, serving, and inviting for the purpose of receiving. It's a, actually a miserable way to live because what do you end up doing? You end up keeping score. And it's like, it's never gonna balance out. You're, you're keeping score, maybe you, it's been part of your past, it's something you're doing right now. You're keeping score of what you've done for others and what you should be getting back in return. And what a actually awful way to live. How freeing is it that you can love, that you can invite, that you can include with no expectation of repayment because your heavenly father has already promised you a reward. At the moment we reach in our service at the end of the message, I'd like to encourage us to have a moment to reflect. And for a lot of us, it helps just to close our eyes for a minute and to consider what God may be speaking to our heart. We're talking about this gift that cannot be repaid, this gift of hope for eternity, of a place in heaven. And you may be here today and, and you'd say, you know what, I've never received that gift. And you know what God wants you to do today is to receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Maybe you've known about Jesus. Maybe you've known other Christians. But in a moment of honesty, you'd say, I've never made that commitment myself to become a follower of Christ. If you're here today and you'd like to become a Christ follower, today is the day that you'd like to make a personal commitment to Jesus so that I can pray for you. Would you just briefly lift up a hand and look at me so I know how to pray for you? If today's the day in the balcony, on the floor, in any one of our sections, today's the day you wanna make a commitment, a first time commitment or a recommitment to Christ, would you just, I see your hand, thank you. Who else? Who else today? I see you. How many others are there who would say, today is the day I wanna give my life to Jesus? I see your hands in the balcony. Praise God. See your hand, friend. Are there any others? Praise God. If you just raised a hand for me today, you showed me so that I can pray for you, but actually what needs to happen now is a conversation between you and God. 
It's a prayer. So right now, in your own words, from your own heart, maybe it's been a while since you've talked to God. Right now, in your own words, just say, Father in heaven. That's right, just talk to God. He hears you say, Father in heaven, I realize today my need for you. Say it out loud. Father, today I realize my need for you. Father, forgive me of my sins. And tell God right now, I receive your son, Jesus Christ, as my Lord and my Savior. Maybe you want to tell him something like you've been trying to earn your way to heaven through good works and you've seen today that I can't do this based on earning. It's a receiving. And you say, Father, I receive your son, Jesus Christ, as my Lord and my Savior. And then now is a moment of commitment, a first-time commitment or a recommitment, saying, Father, I commit my life to following Jesus Christ, desiring to be more like him each and every day. Father, I thank you for the many hands that went up today, those who'd like to receive Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. Father, I pray that this moment would be sealed, this would be a turning point in their life, that they would leave the old life behind, that they would cast it off, set it behind them, and they would shift their focus as they have now know the personal relationship that you offer through your son, Jesus Christ. For the rest of us in this room today, maybe you're challenged to stop keeping score. You can, you can actually think of a relationship that's been damaged or it's suffered because you did something, you offered something, you invited, you included, and there was an unspoken or spoken expectation that something was gonna come back and return, and whatever it was, it never came back. And so as a result, there's been weeks, months, years, or even decades where there's been se separation, there's been hurt, and what God is laying on your heart today is that it's actually time to forgive that debt. It's time to move from expecting a payment to saying, I'm no longer gonna expect repayment from that. God may be challenging you to step out of your comfort zone to invite or to include someone that others have been ignoring, to invite or include someone that cannot repay you, may never be able to repay you. And maybe as you're thinking about a particular person or scenario, there's complications, there's different dynamics, and you're thinking about, what about this? What about that? If I, if I, if I invite, then there's all these other domino effect and, and what God is simply saying to you is that as you take care of what matters to him he wants you to trust that he's going to take care of the rest father we come to you in the name of Jesus Christ today father we give you praise for new life in Jesus that was found in this church today thank you for hope thank you for the new names written in the Lamb's book of life thank you that your kingdom expanded through the teaching of your word at People's Church today. Father, we are challenged, we are encouraged by the words of Jesus at this dinner party. We're vulnerable, vulnerable Father. Thank you for exposing, large or small, 
any Pharisee attitude that may be in our heart today that you want to break down, rework, and you want us to move forward, not as scorekeepers, but as people who are ready and willing to include all, even those who may never be able to repay us. And our hearts are full of gratitude, Father, for the reward that has been promised. And we celebrate that today in Jesus' name.